0: The story of Genesis, um, particularly the story of Joseph, this Joseph account has shown us that God is in control and He is sovereign even in the midst of sinful actions. There, and He works all things together for good for those who love Him. And so this frees us as God's people from a life of anxiety and worry and wonder of what is going to become of us and befall us. We're free from that. We have a sovereign God if we trust in Christ who is for us and not against us. Who is working all things together for our good. And just as we sang earlier today our eyes will be transfixed on Jesus' face one day and he will take us safely to his heavenly kingdom, no matter what befalls us here on earth. We're going towards a good and blessed end. I praise God for that. Now the story of Joseph, um, Joseph has been sold into slavery. Everything that could happen to him that is is um, a difficult circumstance in life, it, He has gone through it. He has been sold into slavery. Um, He has been wrongly accused of sexual harassment, spent time in prison, but eventually through God's providence, he was exalted to the right hand of Pharaoh. And then, as we've seen in the last few weeks, his brothers have come for food because there's famine in the land and they stand before him and he recognizes them. And through a series of events, um, he develops this relationship with their with his brothers, though not um, not um, disclosing his true identity as their brother. But we're going to come to that point today. If you remember last week, we saw m- people really do change. Judah, who at one time suggested they sell Joseph into slavery is the one who actually stands in the gap for his brother Reuben and says, take me instead. And he beseeches Joseph to keep Judah, keep keep me instead of Reuben. Send Reuben back. I don't know what will happen to my father if he does not see his beloved son again. And so that's where we are. We're kind of in the middle of the action here. And uh, that speech by Judah is going to break Joseph. And he'll finally disclose himself to his brothers. I think there are four movements in this passage we can just trace the story through. Um, We're going to cover Genesis 45, 6, and 7 today. And we'll see a revelation, a reconciliation, a reunion, and then a rearrangement of circumstances. So first, let's look at the revelation. Joseph will now make himself known to his brothers upon his heart breaking due to the speech of Judah. Read with me verses 1 through 8. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him. And when Joseph made himself known to his brothers, And he wept aloud, so that the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said to them, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into slavery. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in this land these past two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors." So it was not you who sent me here but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all Egypt. Hurry and come up to my hurry and go to my father and say to him thus says your son Joseph. God has made me lord over all Egypt. Come down and do not tarry. So Joseph here is brought to a breaking point. At last, he reveals himself to his brothers, and he's weeping so loudly at this point that even those outside the courts can hear it. Joseph is a very emotional man. And he's, he is weeping, he is wailing, and his brothers are shocked. The text says in the ESV that they were dismayed at his presence. In the Hebrew, that just means that they were dumbfounded, shocked beyond belief at his presence, that this brother, whom they sold into slavery 20 years ago, is now standing before them as perhaps the second most powerful man on the face of the earth at the time, vice-regent of Pharaoh. What's more shocking is that he is probably speaking to them in Hebrew. Now, he's no longer speaking through an interp- interpreter, but in the midst of uncontrollable tears, he begins speaking to them in their own language, no doubt, informing them that he was the brother that they sold 20 years ago. I want you to notice the perspective that Joseph has when he addresses his brothers. He insists that God was behind and even orchestrating his brother's sin against him. He says that God sent him before his brothers in verse 5. It wasn't simply he fell into slavery at the hands of his brothers. It was God sending him to Egypt. In verse 7 and 8, let me just reread that. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. So God in his providence has actually folded the evil of his brothers into his causality so that Joseph is now ascended to the right hand of Pharaoh. God was behind the brother's evil and raised him up as vice-regent. Not only was he behind the brother's evil, not only did this happen according to plan, but it happened according to God's purposes. God's purpose was to keep, as we've seen in Genesis, is to keep the chosen seed alive. It's to keep his people alive. So he sees not just the plan, but the purpose. Verse 7, he says, God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So Joseph delivers his brother, his brothers and his whole family in this story from almost certain extinction due, due to a massive famine sweeping across the The Near East. So I want you to notice that throughout the scripture, I mean, Joseph is a deliverer in this passage, and throughout the scripture, God will raise up deliverers. This is his mode of operation. Whether it's a flood, a famine, giants, he is going to raise up a deliverer because his people are very vulnerable, and there seems to always be an attack. On the life of the chosen people They are always under threat By nature, armies or evil There is always a threat On the seed of Abraham And God will raise up deliverers And Joseph is a deliverer In this passage Whom God uses to preserve the life of his people And the people of God Learn this throughout history. They hear the stories. They go through these acts of deliverance and they learn to rely on a God who is a refuge for his people. The God of the nations need to be pacified. It's it's the people that kind of work for the gods so the gods bless them somehow. But the God of Israel Covenants with an unworthy people and saves them despite their constant rebellion and ineptitude. And he constantly rescues them and proves himself time and time again to be a rock and a fortress and a refuge for his people. And so in Psalm 50, we hear the words of God speaking to Israel. And he talks about what he really wants from his people. He says, If I were hungry, I would not tell you. So it's not about your sacrifices. It's not, a, it's not ultimately about the meat you're offering me and the peace offerings and the drinks, drink offerings. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world and its fullness are mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer to God a thanksgiving of sacrifice, sacrifice of thanksgiving, and perform your vows to the Most High, and call on me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. See, the God of Israel is a God who is glorified by delivering his people from certain destruction. And the people of Israel learn that throughout redemptive history. And they sing songs like the Lord lives, blessed be the rock, and exalted be the God of my salvation. God of Israel works salvation for his people time and time again by raising up a deliverer. And God has raised up Joseph to rescue them from starvation at this point. And we see that in ways that prefigure the ultimate salvation in Jesus Christ, that Joseph is not just a deliverer, but he is also a reconciler. Read with me. Verse 9. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me and do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me. You and your children, and your children's children, and your flocks, and your herds, and all that you have. There, I will provide for you. For there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your household, and all that you have, do not come to poverty. And now your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see, that this is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of all the honor that I have in Egypt. Hurry and bring my father down. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck. And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. I want you to notice there is no detection of vengeance in Joseph's heart. There is not a hint of anger that I can see. Not even bitterness at this point. All we see is a brother who desires brotherly love from his family. He says, tell my father, come and live in the land. I will provide for you. Then he kissed them and wept with his brothers and talked with them. It's almost as if he forgives them because they know not what they did. God was in control the whole time. Repurposing their evil for good. It's almost as if their evil that they had done was according to whatever God's plan had predestined to come to pass, to keep his people alive. And we see because of their relationship with Joseph, Pharaoh invites them now to dwell in Egypt and have the best of the land. Verse 16. When the report was heard in Pharaoh's house, Joseph's brothers have come? It pleased Pharaoh and his servants. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say to your brothers, Do this, load your beasts, and go back to the land of Canaan, and take your father and your households, and come to me, and I will give you the best of the land of Egypt, and you shall eat the fat of the land. And Joseph, and you, Joseph, are commanded to say, Do this. Take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives and bring your father and come. Have no concern for your goods for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. This is reconciliation at its fullest. Not only are they forgiven of their sins against Joseph selling him into Egypt but now they are told in virtue of their union with Joseph Before the most powerful man on earth That the best of the land is yours This is a full reconciliation by Joseph No anger, no bitterness Just an extension of mercy and grace Not only to save them from starvation But to give them the choice parts of the land of Egypt So Having been reconciled to his brothers, now he is also united with his father. Verse 25. So they went up out of Egypt. So they pack all the stuff on their donkeys that Joseph, Joseph has given them. Pack it up their little ones. They take their whole family and they begin their journey back home. that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father revived. And Israel said, It is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive, and I will go see him. At first, Jacob didn't believe what they were saying. He hadn't seen his son in 20 years. And so when they say something like, Joseph is still alive, he becomes speechless and dumbfounded. But then he sees wagons and donkeys and provisions and food and riches and treasure being sent from Egypt. He sent them away empty-handed to get food from Egypt and they come back rich beyond his wildest dreams, thus proving that what they say about Joseph is true. Joseph is still alive. Now, This presents a difficulty, though, for Jacob. Because he needs to go now to Egypt to see his son. And that's a problem because going to Egypt was explicitly forbidden by God to his father Isaac. If you go to Genesis 26, verse 2, this is very interesting. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. So previously, there would have been a temptation, it seems, to idolatry, to intermingle with the Egyptians, and to lose their identity as God's chosen people if they went down to Egypt. But now, Joseph, his son, is beckoning him down to Egypt. And so, So Jacob goes down to a place called Beersheba Where Abraham sacrificed Where Isaac sacrificed And it seems to me That he is waiting on the Lord Verse 1 of chapter 46 So Israel took his journey with them Took his journey with all that he had come to Beersheba And he came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. As I said, Beersheba is exactly where Abraham and Isaac called upon the name of the Lord. And so Jacob goes there and calls upon the name of the Lord. And in verse 2, God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, I am God the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I also will bring you up again, and Joseph's hands shall close your eyes." So G- uh, so, um, so God tells Jacob, don't be afraid to go down to Egypt. He's actually given divine permission to go down to a place that was forbidden before. It was not God's will that Isaac go to Egypt before, that the chosen family go to Egypt before, but now it is God's will that they go to the land of Egypt. And I think this shows us that we see all things working out according to God's plan, all things working out according to God's purposes, but also all things working according to God's timing. It's God's timing as well. If they went to the land before, as I mentioned, they would have been susceptible to idolatry, I think, maybe to intermingle with the Egyptians, intermarry with the Egyptians and lose their identity. But in the fullness of God's timing, God has raised up Joseph and provided for them even in their own section of the land, which we're going to see, it is, which is Goshen, so that they can be separate from the people of Egypt and maintain their identity and be able to flourish as God's people, unhindered from the pagan and idolatrous nation that is right now Egypt. I think that this... What I'm getting from this is that God's will is time-sensitive. It's time-sensitive. There are things that are not God's will now that might be God's will later. So, for example, I'm thinking about the church building we're looking at. We want a church building. It would be fantastic to have lunches together on Lord's Day. We could have Bible studies there. We could, we, could, we could really establish ourselves, I felt like, if we had that building in Washingtonville. But we, we went about it faithfully. We prayed about it. We thought about it as a church. We fasted. We discussed the positives and negatives. We made the offer. And God said, no, for now. And that's okay, because God's will is, I think, according to God's timing. And I think perhaps he's preparing us for something like this, for a building. Maybe we're not ready yet for a building, and God knows that. So things that aren't God's will right now often become things that are God's will in the future as he prepares a people for what they need to do at that point. There's a right time for everything. In Galatians, Paul said, In the fullness of time, God sent forth his Son, born from a woman born under the law. It was in the fullness of time. It wasn't just a reaction. It was according to God's plan, his purpose, and his timing. If you are a non-Christian today, or you are not sure where you stand with the Lord, you don't have this comfort that I'm offering people because as Christians whether corporately or individually we can cling to the Lord and say and say my soul this is whatever happens in my life is going to be according to God's timing and his will I know that I have not been forsaken this frees me from anxiety and so we have this great comfort that that there is a God in heaven who watches over us, just like He watches over the birds of the air and the grass of the field. And He is leading you in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. You have this great comfort. But if you are not a Christian, an unbeliever right now, I can't offer you that comfort. And so, what... What you need to do is accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior because God will always raise up a Deliverer. And by doing so, you will be brought in to God's good and perfect will for your life, according to his plan, his purpose, and his timing. So, we see that Jacob goes down to Egypt. He seeks the Lord at Beersheba, receives divine permission, Go down to Egypt and now we have The reunion is continued Where am I here? Verse 5 So they pack up all their Provisions after receiving Divine permission, Jacob and his Family and they set out to Beersheba And verse 5 Then Jacob set out from Beersheba Rather, the sons Of Israel carried Jacob their father Their little ones and their wives In the wagons that Pharaoh Had sent to carry them. And they also took their livestock and their goods which they had gained in the land of Canaan, and they came to Egypt, Jacob and all his offspring with him, his sons and his sons' sons with him, his daughters and his sons' daughters, all his offspring he brought with him to Egypt. So the text is pretty insistent that all the offspring of Jacob went with him to Egypt. So all of God's chosen family, all the offspring of Abraham, are now relocated to Egypt. But it's not just insistent that all of God's people went to Egypt, but specifically 70, which is very interesting. In verse 27 of the same chapter, and the sons of Joseph who were born to him in Egypt were two and all the persons of the house of Jacob who came into Egypt were seventy. So we see the names of all the people that came down to Egypt from verse 8 and following. And the text is adamant that not only all went down but seventy went down, which we find very interesting because if we look back in Genesis 10, the table of nations, that there is a a number of 70 nations listed. So Genesis 10 gives us a table of nations, but Genesis 46 gives us a table of a chosen nation, a chosen people to come out into a land that God is preparing for them at this time. And so now we see after Jacob and the chosen nation comes to Egypt there is now a reunion with his father verse 28 and he had sent Judah ahead of time to Joseph to show the way before him in Goshen and they came into the land of Goshen then Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to meet Israel his father in Goshen and he presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. And Israel said to Joseph, Now let me die, since I have seen your face and know that you are still alive. And Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and I will say to him, My brothers and my father's household who were in the land of Canaan have come to me and the men are shepherds, for they have been keepers of livestock, and they have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. And when Pharaoh calls you, say, calls you and says, What is your occupation? You shall say, Your servants have been keepers of livestock from your youth, even until now, both we and our fathers, in order that you may dwell in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians." What, J- what Joseph is doing is he is scheming to get his family into the land of Goshen. And he is saying, make sure when I present you before, sh- before Pharaoh, you tell him that you are shepherds, because that is an abomination to Egyptians, and what they're going to do is going to want to separate you from them, and that will be able, and you will therefore be able to m- remain a distinct family apart from Egypt, in your own land, in Goshen. So that is what Joseph is doing at this point. But what I find very peculiar about this whole section is that only two verses are given to describe the reunion with Joseph and Jacob. You would think that this is what the whole story is driving towards. It's the reunion of Jacob, who's lost his son for twenty years, and now they're reunited again, and verse twenty-eight. He falls on his neck, and there is, seems to be a, a heartfelt reunion. And Jacob says, "Now let me die. I've seen your face, and that's it. That's all there is. There's no lingering description. There's no. This is not a movie. There's no. There's no big crescendo here. It just." moves on, and I think this shows us that although there is great sorrow and joy in both Jacob and Joseph's life, we see that this story is not really ultimately about a father who finds his way back to his son. It's about God's providence in keeping the chosen family alive. That's the ultimate picture of this story. And that is why Joseph shifts his attention from his reunion with his father to providing for his family immediately and begins to plan on how to get his family into the land of Goshen. And so we read in chapter chapter 47, verse 1. So Joseph went in and told Pharaoh... My father and my brothers, with their flocks and their herds and all that they possess, have come to the land of Canaan. They are now in the land of Goshen. And from among his brothers he took five men and presented them to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to his brothers, What is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, Your servants are shepherds, as our fathers were. And they said to Pharaoh, We have come to sojourn in the land. For there is no pasture for your servants' flocks. For the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. And now, please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them settle in the land of Goshen. And if you know... And the able men from among them put them in charge of my livestock. So the deliverance is now complete. God has raised up Joseph to rescue his people from extinction because of the famine. And Joseph is acting as that deliverer. He forgave his brothers. He is reunited with his father. And he provides through Pharaoh, the best of the land of Egypt to his brothers where they can grow and flourish as God's people. Now, as I said before, just a few minutes ago, this is the pattern of redemption we see in the Bible. Salvation history is marked out by God raising up people, certain men, to deliver the people of Israel from certain destruction because they're as I said a constant threat to the life of the chosen seed so sometimes it's a flood and God raised up a Noah to build an ark so he could save his chosen people at that time eight people there is a famine and so he raised up Joseph to bring his chosen people into the promised land and to sustain their life. There is a giant, so he raises up a David to defeat the giant and deliver his people from the Philistines. And throughout we see army after army coming up against the people of Israel and God constantly delivering his people the chosen seed of Abraham. They are so vulnerable, it seems. Not only are they vulnerable, but they're constantly defying God, sinning, going astray, and God will always raise up a deliverer and work to reconcile them back to himself and provide for them the best of the land. So God... God's people have learned that God is a God of refuge. He is a rock. He is a fortress. He is someone that will constantly see to it that His people are rescued. He is a help in times of trouble. And so they sing in the Psalms, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. The Lord lives And blessed be the rock, and exalted be the God of my salvation. Israel was a people that learned to trust and rely on God for salvation. And this is unlike the gods of the foreign lands, the false gods of the nations. They turn to their gods who constantly are requiring from them. But the God of Israel constantly is giving and forgiving and providing and being a deliverer and being a rock. Exalted be the God of our salvation. And they learn to call upon the name of the Lord. As time goes on it seems like a deliverer has not been raised up. Because Babylon would come and would usurp the nation of Israel. Persia would come. Alexander the Great and the Greeks would come. And they are constantly, it almost seems, in a state of exile. Constantly under the thumb of world powers. And even though they're in their land at this point, it seems that they still need a deliverance. Now, it's very interesting, I just realized yesterday that today is Palm Sunday. And it is the day that we remember when the ultimate deliverer rode in to Jerusalem. And you know what the people cried? Let me read you that passage. They brought a donkey. This is Matthew Twenty-one, verse seven through eleven. They brought a donkey, and the colt, and put them on their cloaks, which is a direct fulfillment of a prophecy from Zechariah nine, I think it is. And he sat on them, and most of the crowds spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the streets, from the trees, and spread them on the road. And the crowds that had went before him. And that followed him were shouting, Hosanna, Son of David. Which means, please save us, Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And Jesus entered Jerusalem. And the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. The ultimate deliverer that God has raised up is Jesus Christ. And we've been studying in Bible study typology. And this this is a type. Joseph is a type of Christ because his actions perfectly anticipate the actions of Jesus Christ who would come to save a people, rescue them, deliver them, but not this time from famine, but from sin and death itself, from ultimate things. So in Jesus Christ, there is no fear of death. And as I've said before from this pulpit, when your eyes close for the last time here on earth, if you are in Christ... You will awake in a realm where man lives because you are attached to Christ's life and he has delivered you from certain sin and death. Hosanna in the highest. Amen. Amen. I'd like to call.